This episode of The Bill Murphy Show brought to you by Zapiti, makers of the new Pro 4K media player with dual swappable hard drive base for storage and stunning playback of all audio and video codecs. A must-have for all modern home theaters, as well as studios with the need for on-demand media playback and massive storage capability. And by King K9, creators of innovative new hemp wellness products for your pet, from the King Calm hemp formulas to the King Comb line of superior grooming tools. Learn more about King K9 at King K9, K-I-N-G-K-A-N-I-N. Wellness.com. The Bill Murphy Show. The stories behind the music. And we are back indeed with a very, very, very special episode. And before we get rolling with it, I want to say a quick thank you to everybody for tuning in with our return season, the two-parter with Frank Marino. He did the DVD completely independently and a wave of interviews followed ours. And now he's apparently got enough money together and a tour has been put together. So some dates in store for 2020 for Frank Marino. And if you missed those, make sure you check that episode out and share. On this episode, it is long overdue. I have on the phone with me, and he has to sit through these accolades, but I'm sure it never gets old hearing this, because this is so cool. One of the world's most respected heavy metal drummers. He's influenced more than one generation of metal drummers everywhere. He's played on, if I have my math correct, 36 of Iron Maiden's 39 albums. (laughs) (laughs) The band, as of 2017, has sold over 100 million copies worldwide, and... That's records that are being sold to people who actually still buy records, too, Nico. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, actually, I think there was a... Somebody did a, a um, one of those... They Com- go out and talk to record stores and oh, right. whatnot. And, they, and there, there's a percentage, they reckon, over 65% uh, of these record shops are actually selling more vinyl than anything else. And it's, it's actually better than downloads and all that streaming that, malarkey. That is so great. Um, yeah, it's cool, mate. Yeah, vinyl, we always we always do a limited run of vinyl. I am not even done with this introduction. There's still more to this. <laughs> oh, there is. So okay. I also wanted to add to this list of great accomplishments. It's not to be forgotten that he's the drummer on two of the best Pat Travers bands, albums, some of my all-time personal favorite recorded drum tracks to this day. So that has a special place in my heart. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to start things off here by saying that I may be talking to the most famous Nico in the world. Yeah. Really? All right. So let me straighten this out first and foremost, because I think I've been saying it wrong. I've been calling you Nico, but I was reading something recently that said the correct pronunciation is Nico. No, there isn't any correct way. If you just think of Nick with an O on the end of it, that's how it's spelled. All right, then I'm doing fine with just Nick. Absolutely. I'd let you know if you got it wrong, mate, believe me. Uh, <laughs> keeping that in mind, I was looking it up to see who could possibly be more famous, Nico or Nico. And Nico Rosberg comes to mind, the retired uh, Formula One racer. That's a pretty famous okay. guy, you know? So you yeah. guys would probably. He's, he spells his name different than mine, though. Right, right. So there you go. Yeah. So you're the most famous N I C K O in the world. That's anyway, the, that's the one, Mike. Michael yeah. <laughs> Henry Nico McBrain. And uh, another thing that's really cool is that you have the same middle name as uh, John Bonham. Ah, yes, very nice. Yes, yeah. yes, John Henry. Yes, of course. Yes, I, I will take that any day over being the most famous Nico, um, being associated with the one and only John Bonham, mate. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a terrific. Uh, Accolade, you know? Absolutely. We got at least three current things going on, and I know we'll talk about with Nico here. A new exciting drum rig partnership, and I know you've been jumping up and down about that. We'll talk in, in depth about that for with a lot of nerdy, geeky drum talk and music equipment. <laughs> and a recap back at the uh, recently completed tour from still one of the biggest touring bands of all time. 
And mm-hmm. the uh, third most important thing we'll cover is South Florida's big annual Nico Rock and Roll Ribs 10th anniversary block party concert coming up December 14th. It benefits the SOS Children's Charity, and it is the best time you can have in South Florida in the winter, I'll say. Absolutely. And with all your clothes on, that my head. <laughs> well, hang on. You've got to have all your clothes on. It's I mean, what, what's the temperature going to be? Two years ago, it was freezing cold. It could be 45 night. degrees or it could be 80. Absolutely. It's going to be 80. <laughs> the good Lord's going to look down and go, right, they'll have a nice evening for these boys. Uh, it's very special. Yeah, we'll speak about that as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I feel kind of honored that you're talking to me because I know you're in uh, some uh, winding down time. You just had an unbelievable tour again, and I just mm. wanted to take a look back at that. How's your physical endurance holding up? Age catches everybody out sooner or later, you know. Some people it gets sooner, and others it gets later. I'm very fortunate to be on the latter. Yeah, you know, to to drive maiden, it's it's um you know it's 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 a young man's gig really you know these 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 uh these snappers we're seeing nowadays i don't know if they could last two hours on a show like we play but yeah i have to look after myself so first thing i did was i stopped drinking over four years ago i, I stopped drinking because i knew if i carried on drinking uh i wouldn't be able to make it i i just wouldn't um you know, it's, yeah. it's one of those situations where my body, I knew, I listened to my body. And I think that's a, a good tip for anybody, uh, any age to say, look, you know, if, if you, you know, you're finding your body's telling you, look, you've got to stop doing this because uh, it doesn't like it. It's an unnecessary it's burden on the road in the middle of a tour. Exactly. You know, right? Yeah. And, you know, as I said, getting, you know, a little bit longer in the tooth now. You know, I'm the granddad <laughs> in the band. <laughs> I'm the old boy at like 67. <laughs> Ooh, that's old. <laughs> but you did seriously. You had some uh, surgery on your wrist, did you not? Oh, that's right, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I oh. watched you go through that time. You didn't play for a while. You had, uh, you know, quiet time, doctor's orders. And now, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it was less than, am I getting it right? Less than six months later, you're on the road with Iron Maiden? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And that, I that's to, like um, a recovery that a 25-year-old goes through, is, you know? Right. So. Well, you know, the thing is that, okay, bones take a little longer to heal the older you get. But, um, yeah, but a wrist is a little bit important for a drummer, would you say? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, you know, you, you, it's, like anybody, it's like anything else. Anybody has an injury. You know, our, you know, God for, you know, God bless our vets that come home, you know, you, you get injured. And if, if you can make sure that you go through your rehab and you've got good people working behind you, you have to put the hours in and the taste like rehearsing a piece, you know, like a, a new tune or uh, learning to play an instrument. You have to put the time in to get it right. Right. The same situation goes for broken bones or anything like, you know, that, that you're going through from operations or anything like that. If you make sure you, Stick to your regime and listen to your, your physiotherapist and whatnot. You can get through it. I mean, I broke my wrist on the 25th of October um, <clears throat> last year. Wow. So it's just over a year ago. So after the first, you know, going through Christmas and the new year, I actually had, you know, I'm still not quite, my, my, my strength on my left side is, is minimal compared to what it was. But, how, long, um, how long did you have to go without playing at all? Well, actually, that, that I was encouraged to play as soon as possible. Oh, wow. Uh, and having said that, after, you know, I had to have a plate put in my wrist. Uh, so that kind of healed. That heals up quite quickly rather than doing what they call the reset or a setting of the bone and then part casting it in a plaster cast or whatever. Um, I had to, I, I tried that for 10 days. It didn't really work. My, my bone actually didn't set correctly. Wow. So, um, I was there. I said, look, mate, you know, I'm going to have to go. I, I, I've lost two nights sleep thinking about this. 
I've seen your drum videos. I've seen you playing. We need to get you at least 90% of your movement back. So I had the surgery. Now, I was actually sitting on a drum set, um, let's see, November, five, six weeks. First week of December, I sat on my drum set for five minutes with just tapping my, my left my you know my left hand working uh-huh. a little bit five minutes and then it started to hurt and you know the old ad the, the old the old wives tale saying it's got to hurt to heal uh-huh. well that's not true when you've got broken bones right when it starts to hurt you stop <laughs> and let it and then ice it and heat it and um, put warm heat heat on it and whatnot so I kind of started doing five minutes a day for a week then the next week I did like ten minutes in the morning ten minutes in the evening. And then I started to gradually build it up so I could actually play, you know, like for an hour. Wow. And wow. the problem that I had wasn't so much playing in front of me. So like, the, you know, the snare, the two toms on the bass drum, you know, the, uh-huh. the two up, as they say. I've got like four more to the left. Now, every time I went over to hit cymbals, that's when it started to hurt. Right. So that was the heart. That was the last thing that I could get, which which is like when you... I forget the medical term. So if you're going to go and shake hands left-handed with someone and you, you, you tilt your fingers to the ground, that movement, the ooh, up and down. So, oh, yeah, 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 you yeah. Know. Right. So I, I really worked hard at it. I had to go back to Europe in uh, in March and uh, did a bit of work over back over in Europe. And, oh, man. And then, of course, then we were getting ready for, for the tour. So I was really, all my all of my concentration was on getting the stamina to be able to keep that left hand working for two hours with Maiden. And uh, then when we, once we started rehearsals, you know, we took it quite easy the first couple of days and, and then we were we were off and running. So, yeah, you know, by the grace of God, I thought, you know, when I actually broke my wrist, I thought, all right, Governor, you know, is there you're telling me to knock it on the head and not go on the road anymore? Oh, <laughs> yeah. man, I got to tell yeah. you, that's a, that's a pretty inspirational recovery story. And everybody over... 50, some of us well over 50, you know, we uh, appreciate hearing how that's done because you have to take yeah. a special kind of care of something when it happens. I, Absolutely. I, yeah. I, uh, I broke my collarbone at 52. That, that wasn't an easy task no. to recover from no, that. You know? That's, that's yeah. nasty one too. I mean, that's, that kind of completely disabilitates you, you know? Yeah. But you, you got a million that. bones in that wrist too. So that's tough. It hurts mm. hearing me, t- hearing you tell the story kind of makes my wrist, hurt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, thank you, miss. Squeeze a little bit as I'm seeing so what, are, what are the big highlights that Nico took home from the this most recent tour? If you had your like your oh, and then we did such and such that just oh, the stuff you're sorry. never going to forget from this particular tour. Well, you, you, you know, it's all it's you know I've had a, an amazing career with mine, 37 years, and God mm. knows how many world tours and whatnot. You never get totally used to it, right. you know. Like I don't sit back on my laurels and just go, yeah, you know, yeah. Here we go again. You know, here we go again. It's 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 like something. It's the passion. So every gig is like really t- super special, especially this tour because I I didn't think I'd be playing ever again when I sat there holding this busted wrist. I was making an assumption when I first uh, was getting ready to do this interview that I was going to ask you about, and I'm just guessing that at Iron Maiden's stature. You guys have earned the right to pretty much travel and book things the way you want to do it, and you kind of do it yeah. to make it as easy as you can. Am I right? Absolutely, yeah. But then what you've got to bear in mind is six guys in the booth. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody has their own way of, you know, I like to do the show, um, take my, you know, my stage clothes off, put a robe on, put a bit of ice on my wrist, 
Um, and I am boys and girls, completely naked underneath. Uh, you know, so if the wind blows that, that let's not the wind ruin blows, the image. The right? <laughs> <laughs> and again, if anyone's eating their dinner while they're listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, you know, so you know, we get in the car. Everybody's kind of ready. You know, some of the guys change at the airport, um, and, and and most of the time. Wherever we are, sometimes in Europe, you can't, you know, the airport close at 11, which is no good. So we'll stay the night and then go the next day. Right. Well, the next day is normally um, called a travel day. They say it's a day off, but it isn't. So if you go the night after, the, you know, you do your show, get in the car, go to the airplane. I change at the airport. I put my, my clothes. You've got a running bag, you know, got your, your drinks and stuff in it. Get changed, get on a little airplane and go off to the next city. You might not get any hotel room till three thirty, four in the morning. But then you've got to bear in mind there's a couple of hours of adrenaline pumping through your body after a, a, a you know a slamming gear. So I can't go to sleep much before two or three in the morning anyway. Even if I stayed in a hotel in the same town that we just played in. So I get the journey done, and I like that because then I have the whole of the next day, then the day you know of the shit the next show. So it's a show, travel day, next day uh, another show. But there's a couple of guys that like to stay. Oh, they don't want to get on an aeroplane. <laughs> so of you have to have a little balance and a bit of a give and take. So what we do is sometimes we will stay over and then we'll travel up in the day, the day of the show. Um, and, you know, you've got to leave yourself a few hours just in case something goes technical with the plane right. or, you know, weather comes in or whatever. But, you know, we do have that wonderful opportunity that's presented to us because of where we're at now. Let's be honest. If you guys hadn't earned it and you couldn't fly it and travel at such a sort of a luxury type level, you wouldn't be doing this unless it was, no. you know? No, absolutely not. I mean, there's no way I'd be sitting on the tour bus for nine hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I've got to be honest. Well, first gigs like... in New Jersey, then we're in Mississippi the next night. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Like, you look at the way they put these tours together. Yeah. And it's like the bloke's got a blindfold on. He's sitting in the, it, you know, the agent sitting there with a map of America or the Europe, <laughs> throwing darts. Right, those red ones, that's the first week of the tour. The blue ones are the second week. The green ones are the third, right? And they throw these darts, and that's like they're all, well, that's what you, that's what it feels like. Yeah. But the reason that there are so many of these, you know, like when we did the, this Legacy of the Beast, this last tour here in the in the in the Americas, we did like I think. 10 shows in America. Then we went and did four shows in Canada. We came back into America, did another five right. shows, went back into Canada. The, the problem is and, hockey teams and basketball teams. <laughs> yeah, why, are they, why do they play out doing their stuff when we're doing Their seasons are like eight months long. Come on, we got to book some concerts. <laughs> but your extra special takeaway moment, you, you you played in Brazil at Rock in Rio again, didn't you? Did Rock in Rio for the fifth time. And... Uh, <laughs> Was it fifth time or fourth time? It's either four or five times we've done it. I think it's five times. <laughs> I may be wrong. But we, we played Rock in Rio, and it was stunning. We had a great time. Uh, all these South American shows, there's such a passion down there for this band. It's, it's overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. And the only problem that you get when you play this, this it, it's like Beatlemania, well, we call it Maiden Mania. Right, of course. You know, when the Beatles came to America, they couldn't move, you know. Mind you, they had all the bells screaming at them. We just have the old dodgy old geezers. That's the know. other thing you've earned, though, my friend. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, you can't go out. You, yeah. You, you, you know, can't go sightseeing. And if you do, you've got to take, like, loads of security guys. We all right. cover security. And that's not, the, that's not the nicest way to go out 
see, you know, go to museums or wherever and, you know, go and see a little of the culture. But, um, yeah, the Rio, the Buenos Aires gig was, was stunning. And uh, as always, when I go to Buenos Aires, I go to the Tango Bar uh-huh. at the Farina Hotel, which is anybody who's listening ever gets down there and you're stuck for a night out, go to see the Tango show in the Farina Hotel. Absolutely stunning. I've seen it gosh knows how many times. That's as authentic as it can get. Now, I would say Absolutely. one look at your Facebook page or Rebecca's on the timeline. Yeah. It looks to me like your hosts go out of their way to give you the best view possible. <laughs> you guys are like the big couple of views. That's what I constantly see. Well, you go, you know, I mean, when you're so cloistered in a hotel when it's difficult to get out, you know, it's nice to be able to wake up, open the curtain and have these wonderful views and these vistas, you know. Yeah, we're, we're spoiled. Let's get Iron Maiden the best view possible. Make sure they remember this place. Just a good-looking one in the band and his missus. That's fine. I don't care about the rest of the other. <laughs> really good. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, this last tour was really spectacular. Everywhere we went, the, the great thing is the feedback you get from kids when you, you see them and, you know, the next band, oh, oh, I saw you, you know, I saw you down in so-and-so or we were in Charlotte. You guys, this is the best tour we've ever seen, you know. It, it makes it so much more fulfilling, not just from the fact that we get on stage and we jam our amazing music every night, yeah. you know, every other night, but to, to get the compliments from the show, we've got a great new sound engineer that we've had for the last couple of years now, and um, the, we, we're blessed to have great people work with us that want to work with us, and when they do, they don't want to. They don't want to work for anyone when else. When you get a new sound guy who's already great at his craft, he's going to go out because he's on an Iron Maiden tour now, so he's going to show off and do the best work he could possibly do. You know, and it just works right on down the line for you guys like that. It does, and and we've we've called them the killer crew for years. Uh, And and that's just not a moniker. They are. They they just earned it. My drum tech's put up with me for 15 years, poor soul. And uh, he's he's in for another year, you know, to take this legacy of the Beast Tour next year to oh my to Asia and wherever, which is great. Well, that um, segues perfectly into the next part I want to get into, which is drums. And and I guess I'm just going to sound like I'm name dropping Nico, but you and I have a friend in common. I had the opportunity to meet Jimmy Page years ago, which was how I met yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And I had a chance to chat with Jimmy about production and sound and recording and working with John Bonham. And he explained to me the importance of recording drums and how he records drums and what people are supposed to do. And I I feel like I learned a a lifetime worth of knowledge just from talking to him. And one of the things he said to me that stuck with me was people forget that drums are an acoustic instrument, just like an acoustic guitar. So you want to have the room it's in work with your sound and that's how you record them. But to... They're in a, you have to tune them. They have to be treated like a piece of craft work that a guitar is, and you take a lot of pride in that. You're all about the sound over the years, and now you have a big new drum endorsement to announce. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, 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 that's right. You know, drums, you've got to bear in mind, if you put your ear, ear to the, the air hole or the, the acoustic hole on an acoustic guitar, and you hear the string like an inch from it, it's not going to sound as good as it sounds when you sit two or three feet away or at least a yard or two. Let's put it that way. It, 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 it blossoms. The sound will it generate its acoustic. So when you're in a studio, you've got a drum microphone that sits like two inches. You know, these, these guys, they close mic these, these drums. John Bonham's drum sound was basically four microphones, two ambience, a snare drum microphone, and a bass drum. 
And, you know, they, they, so that the, the room microphones, we'll just talk about this for a minute, the room microphones are hearing the actual, the, the tonality of the drum set. Whereas you go, you, you, anyone can do it with any drum. Uh-huh. You go and listen to somebody hit it sitting across the room from you. And then you go up and put your ear where the microphone may be. Um, this is one of the, the problems that you have live. In the room, you can put, you can, you know, you can find there's a sweet spot usually in a room where there's an acoustic, vibration if you like that that works with not just a, an acoustic drum but a, you know a, a guitar right and a voice as you know sometimes you go into a corner in a room mm-hmm. sing to the corner or sing out you go in somewhere else you go god this sounds really good right here right you know so yeah tune in the room definitely but now, but, but like, you, you close micing works for live because you if you're especially in the arenas and stadiums because that all the way in the back of that area it's going to use that room after the sound comes out of the PA. So that's a well, the thing, yeah. But the thing is, you've got to treat the sound, and you've got to, you've got to yeah. compress it, or you've got to you've got to take top mid out of it. Some, and then of course you get a lot of people go take the ring out, put some put some moon gel on your snare drum, right? Put a duster on it, or, or put something on it, and it's like no, 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 let no, the room do it. Not. This is the way this drum sounds. I'm not messing with putting dampening on it or nothing like that. If you don't like. You can, you you know, dr- sound engineers in the old days, when I say the old days, I'm talking about the late 60s, early 70s, when PA systems started to come into their own. And, you know, you'd have a microphone in front of a, a speaker cabinet uh, and, and, and a singer would, you know, be having his microphone and he's going through his PA system, right? And then they went, okay, things started to get loud. The drums started to get lost because there's only so... So much volume you can get out of a kit. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard you hit, right. sometimes the harder you hit it, it doesn't sound as good as when you hit it. Not so hard. So there was this fight. There's this fight that was going on with EQing and ringing and overtones and muscle work above the drums. So you know, now what do you see? People are stuck in perspex boxes. Were you having a laugh? <laughs> right. You know? When Jimmy talked about it, he made it seem so fundamental he he was like i go into these studios and these guys have the drum set surrounded by a a trap of foam and all this all around it like why are you killing the sound of the drums oh we're gonna yeah. and we're gonna put reverb on it afterwards why would you do that why Absolutely. not record it in a room that has reverb he's just he, he was well, <laughs> perplexed about it you know and it seems well, so simple well i'll tell you where that comes from right way back way back, I, I say way back because it's a long time ago you know, crying out loud, I don't think Britain even got hold of stereo, uh, <laughs> stereo recording until the late 60s. Right. But what you got to remember is when everything was so much, so live, there was no videotapes, there wasn't, you know, uh, you know, films were played on television occasionally, but, you know, all the musical programs were live. All the, 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 the charts were coming in, we, were, we had the American Invasion, you know, coming out, we had our British rock coming, you know, Bill Ailey and the Comets come out, Elvis Presley, that sort of stuff. When you went in the studio, time was money. Right. The, the, the studio cost X amount of, of, of dollars an hour. The engineer had to be paid. You had to pay for the tape. And you wanted to go in and record as quickly as possible. And that meant, you, you know, in the early days, everybody was a one-take wonder. You know, all these old wonderful bluegrass tracks and all kinds of stuff from the 50s and 60s. But they didn't have the option to right. overdub, right? Because right? they only had four tracks. Then it went to eight tracks. Just, then it went to 16 tracks. Right. right. And then what happened with the drum set sitting in the corner in the studio was they'd get a sound on it, 
when they dampen the heck out of it, and then they would go, right, we don't have to worry about getting the drums now. If you took your own drum kit in, which happened to me when I was doing sessions in the, in the early 70s, I'd take my drum, I had a little five-piece Heyman drum set, and I took this in. I actually had people tell me, to ask me to put newspaper under oh, the drumming. Oh. And I had a, I had a, an argument with a guy. He was he worked with a band called the Bay City Rollers, and this guy's name was Bill Wayman, and he had his own studio, and they had a drum set set up there that was had newspaper on it, and it was like hitting a cardboard box. In fact, a cardboard box probably sounded better wow. than his drum set. Wow. And he's gone, oh, no, I want you to use that kit. I said, no, mate, I'm using my own kit. And when I set it up, and it was like, sounding so good, I'd be calling at Moses Sessions with this kit. And, you know, you'd argue with these engineers because it took time right. away from the actual three-hour session of doing a two-track, like a, 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 a 45 record. You go in, you do the A side and the B side in three hours. That was learn a song, record it, mix it, and get out the room. Well, I know this doesn't fall under that category of, like, doing a single or something, but even even in the days when you and Mars and Pat were recording those early albums, you guys had a little time on your hand, on against the Absolutely. clock, right? You had to oh, yeah. get, you had to play at the same time, right? Yes, we did. We, we did. We, in those days, people had different right routines of how they, they'd record, you know, they'd do a drum track, the drum track, the, the bass player would go back in and over, dub his bass part again, uh-huh. or whatever. You know, the best thing is always learn from A to B. So you learn the beginning of the song, play it all together, get to the end, and that's it. Right. And then you do it a take a couple of times until you got it right. Yeah, right. How was that? Uh, was that a then, good one? All right, let's give it a go. All yeah, right, you know, that's, the, you know. Ed- editing came into its own later on when you had, you know, people, sure. some people went, oh, let's put two tw- 24 tracks or two 16 tracks together. Yeah. Let's bounce that over to that one. That cleans up that bit. And there it, it was a whole process of it. Sure. Now it's all digital, all this wonderful I know. digit digital stuff you got you lose a lot of the character so yeah in the early days i keep saying early days boys and girls because it was early days it, you, you wanted to go in and you you, you rehearse you would rehearse the album you'd have it, you'd have 10 12 13 14 songs however many songs you had if they weren't too long and then you you go in the studio and you set the sounds up and you go right what do we want on this one yeah that's that snare drum sound i'm wanting i'll use that snare and the guy goes, right, I want to use my Melody Maker right. Gibson. Right. And I, instead of the Fender sound, you know, and then you go in and lay the track down. Yep. And, and you, if there was any little bits and pieces. You have to live with it. If we, if we can say anything about digital, you can say a lot of good things about digital, but you can also say that it sort of ruined that part of the of recording music. It made it, I should rephrase that. It made it too easy to, to mess up that process. It was process. another alternative, Bill. It was, it, you, know, it, you know, analog tape went out like 20 odd years ago. Right. Uh, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, certain studios have still got machines, student machines in the, in the room. Uh, and if you fancy doing that, it's a whole different technique. It's, it's different viewing, it's different technique through the desks. But, you know, um, you know, there's, there's arguments for and arguments again. I like to learn a song, from, as I said, from A to B. Uh-huh. You know, and play it like he's playing it, like as if you're at a gig, you know, if you're down the local pub. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's have a go at this song, you know, let's see how it goes. But you learn it and you play it from A to B. That, having the digital era now, you don't have to do that. Right. You don't even have to learn that. You only learn the first bit of the song and you go, right, let's put the next, how's the next bit go? Oh, yeah, this is it. Yep. Let's learn yep. that. If you add it all together, you piece it together. Now, there's still an art and a, and a you know, like, 
um, a talent behind the guy that's w- working the desk and being able to use the Pro Tool or a lease system or whatever they are now. Sure, sure. You know, so now there's new guys today, young, young kids that play and that, that prefer to do it in bits because they think they can get a better performance of, it, of each Exactly, and, oh, and we know oh. you can. Also, all I meant was that it just makes that too easy. It makes it too tempting to just, well, come on over, we'll piece it together. Oh, we don't have to learn yeah, it. Right. There, yeah, there is that, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, listen, a guy can sit, you know, those that, that garage, studio garage, the app on the, mm-hmm. the phones. I mean, if you learn all that racket, you don't necessarily have to be a player. Right. Um, you know, to be out of, of you've learned your art of your instrument, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to create a piece of music. Yeah, I've done, I've created guitar parts that I couldn't really play by using Pro Tools, so I'm guilty. Yeah. You know. But, uh, yeah, so my, my drums, mate, yes, of, of course, I've always been very... Meticulous about your sound, that's what I love about it, yeah. Yeah, you know... And you know when it comes through, I was just listening to something... Was it Power Slave? Or wait, I was listening to uh, Revelations, and yeah. I was noticing. I don't know how many years. How many years later would that have been? But you, you still hear your sound from like those early days before Iron Maiden. There's Nick, yeah. that's Nico's drums right there. There's no doubt about <laughs> it. So it's just it comes through no matter what the engineers are doing to it. You, when, when you find something that works, why do you why do you want to mess with it? You know, I t- I've tuned my drums pretty much the same the way I've tuned them forever since I had the big 12, I originally had a 12 piece drum set with Pat and it went down to 11. So I think I couldn't play the other bass drum. So I've binned it out. So, um, you know, I tuned and they were concert toms that I had with Pat, which means that, which means boys and girls, for those that you don't know, a concert tom is basically a one headed drum. So it's the batter head, the beat head where you hit the stick on right. and it's open at the bottom. Um, now, there was a note that I tuned the floor tom tom to, and if I if with nine tom toms you start with the eighteen and you go up and you work, you end up with the six. If you've got the the big one down on the floor too tight, when you get up to the six inch, it's like impossible. It's it's just going to sound ridiculous. So there's a there's a certain area in note note form that you can tune that drum set to, and I've just stuck with that. They almost and, sounded uh, like, I've those always, top ones, those really small ones, almost sounded like roto-toms on a couple of the records they, you did. Yeah, they, they do, yeah, because they're so tight. Right. They, you know, they even even though I'm, I've got quite a low, you know, I'm not too low on the floor toms, you know, they really, when they first came out, they were bongos, actually, right. on the, the six and eight on the sonar kit that I had. Um, but uh, they, they do sound very tight, high, but... You know, I've always had a very high, very tight snare drum, very, very tight tension top and bottom. Yeah. And, you know, I've shown some friends of mine out. I've done, I've gone, you have it that tight. Oh, my Lord. I said, yeah, I get a lot more, I get a lot more response out of the drum mm-hmm. without having the, the snare strainer, as they call it, which is the tension that the wires are uh, tensioned on underneath the drum, underneath the snare drum. I don't have that very, very tight. So there's quite a, they're, they're very active. Yeah, you know, I don't like having a snare strainer too tight. So I like to let the skin be tight, if you see what I'm sure, saying. Sure. So the skin, some, so skin yeah. does what it does. And then the snare, the looser snare sort of, and uh, forgive me, this is such a novice of me to even be guessing this, but it sort of gives you a sustain uh, in a way. Well, it, 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 the, 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 the sustain that you lose from tightening it too much, you know it, what I mean? Yeah, it, it chokes the bottom edge. Right. If you, if you have your snares too tight, when you take, you, you know, you've got a little screw to doesn't adjust let... the ten- tension of the snares uh-huh. underneath. If you have it too tight, you can actually you can actually tighten it and hear the drum 
note change. Right. Now, some people like a, 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 a loose head underneath and a, and a quite quite a tight snare. So you kind of you're actually changing the pitch slightly of the drum. But I've had my I've just had my ways since the seventies. Basically, I've tuned that kit pretty much the same on uh, you know pretty much every album. And I appreciate and the I, uh, the uh, clarification of what a concert tom is for the few people that aren't drummers that are listening to this right. podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, because, you, know. you know, it's just, you know, we're talking drum splurge here, you know. Right, <laughs> right. So, we know most, course, mostly everybody yeah. that's listening knows exactly what you're talking about, but for the rest well, of them, Well, they should right. do now. If they don't, then there's trouble. That's all I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask them. They haven't done their own work when I see them. I want to hear you know? all about the British Drum Company, but first, I'm going to hint at something. That is there a little bit of, uh, what's the word? Is there a little bit of a scandal that involved your first sonar kit? Must. My, my first, what do you mean? The my first, first kit oh, that I you had experience. from Sonar, I was reading, I, I either was listening to another podcast you were on or read an article where you talked about uh, somebody, I won't mention any names, uh, more or less stealing your first drum set from you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did the bass. I've never spoken to him for 20 years. <laughs> yes, he did. He did. Yeah, well, uh, let, let's put it this way. Um, when I, I left, Pat Travers, I, I was actually fired. So there was and a little bit I of contention was, with you guys when that came to an end. There was, yeah. yeah. And I, I was in London, and the manager phoned me up. This is what he said. Hello, Nick. It's David. I said, hello, David. What's that? He said, I've got some bad news. Uh, I said, what's that? He said, we're parting company. And I said to him, this is how naive I was. I said, Boy, where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he, and anyway, he just said, I said, tell me about my drum set. Because I was in, I'd just flown back from, we had like a week off. We were doing, we, we were on tour um, with Frank Marino, funny enough. You were talking about. Oh, wow. That's right. Guy. You did. You toured with him. Right. Yeah. And we, we were off. We were out touring with him and did a bunch of gigs. But we had a, a couple of weeks off. And, and the last show I played was the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA. Oh, not bad. And I flew back. And so I was back home in London. And I was supposed to fly back out, pick the tour up with him. So I didn't have my drum set with me. And I, I said to David, I said, well, where's my drum set? He said, we're keeping it. <laughs> Unreal. So and that's, I won't go into the rest of the story. It, it, it's, it's really not poignant to, to talk about it. because it. It's all been resolved. Pat, I didn't want to speak to him ever again. Oh, wow. Um, and then we, back in 19, I don't know, gosh, when it was 1994 or something like that, we, uh, I buried the hatchet, Good. basically, and uh, and, I, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't want to, when I, when a good lord calls me up, I don't want to have to spill it in a different closet. I want to clean them out. Yeah, you know. And so Pat and I have, have, have really rekindled this incredible love that we had before. Um, you know, and it's things happen in people's lives, and, and sometimes you drift away, and then you know, providence brings you back together, and and. We, you know, I've got this incredible story from you know forty years after the last time I played with him. We did a we did a little show down here in Florida. Oh wow! I know, and, and I uh, didn't get to see that. Oh. No, well, it was only like four songs. It was for the Home Safe Children's uh, Charity uh, event, and I asked Pat, you know, because we made friends and we'd been speaking, and Mars was on the periphery, and we we played. Okay. Well, Pat was playing down there. Must have been night. I don't know. Gosh. Um, 2000, early 2000. Oh, okay. And he was doing a show, and Mars was in the was there as well. 
And we actually got up and played together and we jammed two songs. So that actually was the first time. And since 1976, when uh, Pat, uh, 77, I do beg your pardon, when I left Pat after putting it straight. So then we did this little gig together and uh, it was just it was just immense. The three of us, the first time that that band had actually performed in public on a on a, an announced, you know, it was announced that Pat was coming and we were going to do a little set. And it was it was special, really special. And of course, as you know, we lost Miles last year. Oh, um, I know. And that was that was a, a big blow because uh, you know I don't, you know as you know he's come up and played with us at the Rock and Roll Riz Party. Uh, it's a memory yeah, I'll never well, forget because he, I did get a chance to sing a Pat Travers song, not very well. Oh, you did you did extremely well, baby. Come on, mate. <laughs> and then uh, Mars played with us, and I'll never ever ever forget it. He's one of he was just one of the kindest, sweetest men you'd ever meet. And you, I know people kind of say that about people when they pass away, but with Mars, it's really really true. He was just so kind and. Gentle and yeah. sweet. He was. He was. He was a true gentleman and an absolute fantastic, and stunning bass player. I mean, he was one of the bass player, best bass players I've ever heard. And when I finally got a chance to meet him, I was like a little kid, little fanboy, yeah. going, "Oh, Mars! Yeah. I li- listen to those records over and over again, and, and you're just my hero." And he was like legitimately flattered, like, "Really?" I, it's just, you, yeah. he couldn't get. Uh, he couldn't be more humble than that guy. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, we were we were supposed to do a little memorial gig for him last year at the party. We would have had at the restaurant, but because Muggins here fell off the bloody ladder, yeah, you had to go and mess up your wrist. Gosh, Uh, yeah, there was so there was. (laughs) so that's a look back at sonar and what happened with this now i know you're one of the guys that kind of put sonar on the map i know uh, there's heavy metal drummers everywhere that bought sonar drums to be like nico and you have a very very uh uh, mutually respected uh, relationship with them but this new venture of yours with british drum company like you're like a little kid about this deal (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's really cool. It's really refreshing. I don't know. You know, maybe that's why I'm feeling as shagged out as I am because last I got back from London on Monday this week. Well, actually, I don't know when this is airing, but I got back on the 18th of uh, of the month. So it was a, a hectic 10 day trip. Wow. Um, on the back end of the tour. So I kind of got over the tour for three weeks. And, you know, honestly, I had PTSD from it. Ah. You know? I mean, that's why I said I was honored that you're on the show, because I expected you to be hibernating for a month or so. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm certainly going to be hibernating tomorrow. I'm doing that now. <laughs> so, no, you, you know, so this, this whole thing was coming around, um, This you know, the British Drum Company. It goes back to my days in Premier. Oh, wow. The guy that ended up making... Uh, the last couple of toolkits with Premier for me. A guy called Keith Keogh was it was an incredible master drum builder. This guy is is just his talent is is overwhelming. When you sit and talk with him about woods and and how he makes drums and the thing with with these guy with him was that well I had this incredible rapport with him and another guy called Craig Buckley who was the GM for Premier. Uh, you know, in the mid 2000s, he was there from 2010, 2011. Um, we had the three of us that actually designed drums together within the Premier family. Oh, nice! And then Premier decided not to make British drums anymore. Got rid of the workshop and all the guys. There were seven guys building these drums for them. Got rid of them, 
I was then left with that. I decided I didn't want to stay with Premier because they weren't making British drums. So I went back to Sonor and spoke with them because uh, I've always had a great relationship and I still do today, continuing forward. Um, I spoke with Sona and they said, yes, we'd like to have you back. And they made me two beautiful drum sets, Book of Souls drum set and this Legacy of the Beast kit. Wow. Um, now, in the background, it, you know, the sort of, you know, the white noise of British drum company. I, and yeah, they're in Manchester. My drum shop's in Manchester. Craig Buckley's my partner in Manchester, you know, I'm drum one. And so I'm, I'm, uh, you know, feeling out what's going on with the BBC and, and seeing these incredible products that they've been making the last three years, four years. Plus, I did a deal with Keogh Percussion, which is Keith Keogh. Okay. Uh, for my drum pad. So I had my, my hands were already kind of in the pot, if you see what I'm saying. And um, Keith always said to me, oh, Nick, you know, it would mean so much to have you back, you know, with, with me and Craig. Uh, making drums and designing stuff and all this. So uh, my juices got the flow, and I saw all of a sudden there's this British drum company formed over the last four years. And um, towards the last couple of, where are we now, the last 11 months of Sonor, there were some changes that were made within the company itself and various management different changes, and much like it happens with other companies, and certainly... No disrespect to them at all. It just didn't work. We just didn't work out. Okay. So having this opportunity to to step into the British Drum Company was the right. It felt the right thing to do. And to be honest with you, my very first my very first drum kit I ever bought was a Sona when I was sixteen years old. And I have this. I have a passion for that brand. But you know, as you go through life, you know, in in my job and my profession as a as a, as a, a world famous drummer playing with one of the greatest rock bands there ever has been, right. in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I I get involved with the business side of it. It's not just, oh, yeah, I'll use that drum. You know, like John Good said to me years ago, if you ever want to use our drums, we'll make whatever you want. And it was wonderful to have, have so many people. You know, you can pick and choose. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that do that, and they literally pick and choose, but they don't stay with, with the one company. But and but but and you dig in under the hood with them and help them make them too, right? That's correct. Yeah. So so they you know there's um five um five other guys with Keith um that run the company. They're they're all shareholders in it and uh, drummers uh, alike. So it was a good it was a good fit for me, and uh, I agreed to go back with them. I I flew out um, a guy called Alan Kitchen who who does all the hardware because they they didn't have their own hardware program until this year. So there's a new line of hardware that comes along with this drum set that's going to be introduced at the NAMM show next year. So um, as far as the drum kit itself, they made what's called the Legend Series. Um, it's actually a birch shell, and there's a little reinforcement going on in it. Um, and I'm not going to go into that right now, but it's a, a Legend Series drum set with black chrome. Now, my Sonar drum set was smoke chrome. So there's a slight difference. The artwork on each of the drums is identical. I went back to the people that made the drum wraps for the Sona drum set and said, like, oh, can wow. you do me another three sets of these, please? Yes, sir. Okay, Nico, no problem. So it's the same artwork because we're going out <laughs> on the legacy of the beat. The, next the year, artwork so. is staggering. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, um, and that's that's something that I pride myself. Oh on. yes, it is. I, it's quite, you know everybody uh, yeah, knows that. You know as well as my sound and and you know like I try to to experience different wood snare drums. You know I had a sycamore wood drum which is basically like a maple, but it's a bit harder. You know um, I'm looking at some other exotic woods for uh, my signature snare drum, um, and I'm going back to a metal snare as well. So. Um, I always used to love a six and a half inch deep metal snare. You um, uh, and you're not you don't have just have an eleven piece drum set just for show. You actually play all eleven drums. Um, well, okay, I can't lie. No, I don't. All right, uh, I do actually. I tell, I tell. Well, no, I just lie to. You. I do only at the very end of uh, Ace's Eye. Well, I stay, I have to stand up to it the six and eight. I can't get. Because, um, <laughs> you, know, I you know, I don't want to gripe, but I've got serious lower back arthritis in, in my, my lower back. And to turn all the way around to it, that little six inch. Excellent trivia question. What is the only Iron Maiden song live that Nico McBrain actually hits all of his drums? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there is another one, but that's the first one you'll hear. That's great. Uh, that's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, they do. They, there's nothing on my drum set that's just that. Well, I'll tell a lie. Again, Uh-oh. I've got caught with the governor's that is my gong. I don't, I, on this tour, I've got three different gongs that go up on stage. Wow. But I don't use them. They're all painted. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're, they're all, only there just, just because I've always had a gong behind me. That's great. At least John Bonham hit his gong once in a while. Yeah, well, I do it I, on the last tour. I, 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 there's one song, I use it three times. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Most of the time, it just sits there. Okay. Yeah. All right, Nico. I've been wanting to do this. I thought about this for a while. I thought this would be fun to do with you. Um, we're going to have all kinds of different music fans listening to this show because I, I cover it all. So, And there's people all over the world that listen to way, way different music on this show before and may or may not be as intimately familiar with Iron Maiden as most of the people listening are. So. Okay. On that note, I want you to come up. I'm going to give you a second to think about this. I would love to. <laughs> I would love to hear your personal. You like you sit somebody down on the couch and you present your band to them like they've never. Here's my band, and this is what we do. What's like the penultimate Iron Maiden song in your opinion that you would show off your band uh, with? Hmm. Well, I'll give you two. Oh well, I, I just want to play one though. So. Well, you're going to have to play two, mate. Okay. Because okay. to show off my band and what I do, we have to be where we stand. There isn't one song that says it all, that does it all? There's two. Okay, say that. that I'm going to give you. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, all right. Hello, Beat on Name, live version. Okay. Yeah, probably probably 2001 Rock in Rio. That was pretty special. That that track, to me, is my favorite all-time Iron Maiden song. And I think that sums up the band. The, with it, with everything, the plan, the soloing, and the actual arrangement of the track, it's actually and the composition, Mr. Steve Harris. It gives the whole sort of theme of what the band is, pretty much. Absolutely, that one song, that's on the uh, uh, number of the Beast record. Um, uh, the album version is a lot slower than the 2001 or any any live version from there onwards because uh, we, we you know it had to be played a bit quicker. Okay, well, some from 2001 Rock and Rio. Let's listen to if you're not already familiar with Hallowed Be Thy Name. I had the chance to sing this with you, so I even feel even more yeah. privileged to do this 
from Iron Maiden. You better learn it for the party coming oh, up in a couple no. of weeks. All right, let, me, <laughs> let me put on the headphones and listen closely as we listen to this. 2001 Rock and Rio, Iron Maiden, I'll Be Thy Name. We got Nico McBrain on the Bill Murphy Show. I'm waiting in my cold cell when the bell begins to chime. Reflecting on my past life And it doesn't have much time Cause at five o'clock They take me to the gallows
Jesus, hallowed be thy name, Iron Maiden. What uh, Nico McBrain calls the penultimate Iron Maiden song. It kind of says it all about what his band does and what how they sound. Yes. If you're hearing it for the first time, welcome aboard. Absolutely. Brought to you in uh, pristine, high-definition quality, courtesy of the Zapiti 1SE 4K player. When you need to make the absolute best of streaming, that was the from the master tier on Tidal Music Streaming. And the Zapiti players will translate any codec and play it back in pristine uh, quality. We have this big event coming up. So South Florida, uh, get ready for another unbelievable party. I have uh, the privilege of uh, getting to be a part of it as well. Tell us about what you do every Christmas time at Rock and Roll Ribs. And wait a minute, let's start this conversation with how did Nico McBrain, because I think this is the first thing, one of the first things people think of when they sit down at Rock and Roll Ribs to have your incredible ribs. How did Nico yeah. McBrain become attached to such like world famous ribs? Where's that? How did that connection get made? Well, it, 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 there was a, an old mate of mine way back in the early uh, 2000s. Um, it was a chef and I actually met this guy through my son's friend who happened to be this, this guy's son. Anyway, they went to school together and made the introduction. This guy was a chef and, uh, pretty good. And, um, Anyway, a couple of years go by, and uh, we're talking about what's your favorite foods and stuff and what you eat on the road. And I always love to have, have like, the uh, baby bat ribs. And I kind of eat them all over the world and try and find the ones that I preferred and the ones that I didn't care for. But anyway, long story even longer, um, he made these ribs for me, and I fell in love with them. And I said, these are some of the best ribs I've ever had. And he, I said, how'd you cook them? How did you do this? How did you do that? And he said, oh, I'm telling you. He said, I'm the chef. I'm on. Give you my secrets. Anyway, <laughs> another year or two goes by. He ended up teaching me how to do them, and he taught me how to do the, make the sauce. And um, and then from there, we used to go out, and we were there, we had a gang called the Corona Gang. Uh-huh. And there were like seven or eight of us. We'd go play golf on the weekend and we'd drink lots of Coronas, get back to my house. He cooked the ribs, oh. showed me how to do them. I then cooked the ribs. And uh, this particular weekend, I was sitting in the backyard and my, my mates are saying, so who's, who's are these ribs? Who made this sauce? And it was my turn and I made a little bit of a different sauce than my mate. So... Uh, everybody, one of me chums turns around and he says, oh, hands up, who thinks Nick's... Nick's uh, sauce is better than Rick's and everybody put their hand up <laughs> and I said to him hey, you're only doing that because you're in my house getting free beers aren't you you know, yeah, oh, right. you know. and no they generally did the consensus was the the uh, sauce that I made was better than Rick's wow. so now Rick has already taught me how to make the uh, the uh, ribs with their braised ribs there's no secret there now, there is a little bit anyway um, keep it to yourself so I made the, uh, you know, made it, and then we made the same guy who stirred up the pot says, uh, so why don't you two boys think about opening a, a, like a restaurant, call it Rock and Roll Ribs or something like that. Oh my and God. it was like the penny dropped. And we went, ooh, that's a good idea. So the seed was sown around 2005. Uh, the dream carried on, you know, we were making menus. We had this big plan together. Um, we opened the restaurant on December the 9th, 2009. So, um, unfortunately, uh, um, Mike Mitch, as you know, Mitch Tan, he plays guitar. Right. And he's, he's my partner in the restaurant. Myself, Mitch, and, and my other mate got, uh, you know, we, we formed a partnership. Unfortunately, and I shall not elaborate, but the other fella 
uh, and it didn't work out. Oh, okay. So we got rid of him, and we carried on the restaurant, the two of us, and we uh, thank you, Bob, and we uh, we're celebrating our tenth anniversary. Wow! And so I, we're at a party at, at Christmas. And there's really, so the, it, really the easiest way to explain how this, you know, novelty rib restaurant lasted 10 years it is going to last easily another 10 is because the ribs are so damn good it's just amazing absolutely hands down you just can't deny it that's true and you know i I like i like to do a little bit of cooking i'm you know i i i don't think i could come in and and run a restaurant you know uh, uh, you know the kitchen but i certainly know you know um What's work, what works and what doesn't. And uh, it's kind of from, it, you know, it came together as well, Billy, from, from all my touring days, you know, and going around the yeah. world eating in these different restaurants and getting to know what service, you know, what I like. So I'm trying to, kind of, trying to, to you know, transpose that into the restaurant. And um, Mitch is 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 unbelievable partner he actually really runs that restaurant with with ivy's missus uh she's our accountant he keeps everything in in order yeah, over there. And, yeah and we've got great staff the food is phenomenal i i can share something with the listeners about this because i have a little bit of insight on this i had a, a fortunate enough to play golf with you and mitch once and we came in or i don't know we met up for lunch there at some point but yes on this particular day that we were there listeners uh, <laughs> we all had some i had ribs at rock and roll ribs with nico and mitch and I don't know what happened. I guess the the particular chef on that particular day was having a, a slightly under par day, and uh, right. you went back and kind of left the table for a while to fine tune what was going on. I forget which uh, part of the meal it was, but you said this isn't right. It might have been the corn. This isn't right. Let me show you how to do this right. And he, you're hands on to the. You make sure that that formula and recipe stays exactly the same for every visit. Yes, sir. It does. And you know the thing is that. I like to see, I like to think of the customers walking through the doors. So it's me walking through the door for the very first time and being greeted by you know happy smiley faces, getting served. You know the good the food speaks for itself once you've eaten it. Right. You know, and I I can't tell you how great it is. You have to taste that yourself. But you know the the whole thing is just it, it's an, a wonderful story. You know, I never thought that it would. You, you know that I would be a restaurateur, and you know I never had that kind of grandiose idea when I was a young kid. You know, but a, but a light a bulb went off when you guys got together it did. that night. Yeah, yeah, when I tasted my chums, my because I've always <laughs> loved, I loved baby bat ribs. Anyway, yeah. oh. so on the Christmas party, it's a celebration. It's our anniversary. First and foremost, it's the Rock and Roll Ribs anniversary party. But what, over the years, what we've done is we've incorporated the Toys for Tots with the local um, SOS. Uh, fire, I, I was going to say fire brigade, which is what we call them in England, but right. the fire department. They come in and we, we, we collect toys. You know, they don't have to be gift wrapped. Uh, but then we, we support our, a wonderful local chat, which you mentioned earlier, Bill Frank, for that, which is the SOS Children's Charity, which is out in Coral Springs. And um, that's been the the, the, the primary uh, charity that we've been been supporting over the last few years. This year, though, however, I think we're 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 going to be uh, Big Dog Ranch. Oh, uh, good. Just taking some some care of some of the animals. Okay. But what happens is, I, I tend to uh, not only do we donate to the charity from the proceedings of the you know that the earnings that we make. Right. Uh, I do these little posters. My friend, a, a, a mate of mine called Mickey, he does these amazing sketches of me with Eddie and or whatever, and me beyond a drum set, and we sell them for 20 bucks. 
they cost me a fiver, so I get fifteen dollars, and nice. I, I use the. You know, I will then donate that to either a local charity other than the SOS Children's Charity, and then I send some. Then I'll send a check over. I have a. I'm a, involved with a uh, Sorry, a charity called the Water Rats, Grand Order of Water Rats in England. So I send them a check over. You know, for their, their for their charity as well. So it's very very philanthropic is basically you know the thing is we all have a great time we've got local kids you know you've played it for a number of years with us Bill. you know it's been immense you know the dodgy enterprise can't beat that you know the best the best the best tribute band name ever that's what i think isn't it just let's let anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about let them think that over for a little bit dodgy enterprise what a blast that was i mean i've been able to see the last few of these and 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 Nico, people fly in from all over the country and they even do. all over the world to be there. They do. They'll combine it with a cruise somewhere. Oh, let's hit Nico's party Absolutely. and then go on a cruise. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean it's it's just a wonderful afternoon. Everybody gets together. They they you can have a beer because we don't serve heavy hard hard liquor, so it's beer and wine. Most people have it. You know, we've got Trooper Al going to be there. But the nice thing is, we we as you know, Bill, we always open the show with the Cold Springs. Uh, school of Rock kids right. come down, right. and we see these kids. They, they, you know, and they they look. It's like a highlight for them. At the end of the year, they're going to you know, oh, we're going to go down to Nico's gaff and get out. And, and within the, we we usually have an hour for them, but we, because we've got a special event uh, planned for the evening, which we talked about earlier, which we'll, we'll, we'll reiterate in a minute. You know, they come in, they kick it off at one o'clock, they'll do 45 minutes, and you might get five different bands within that 40. They will do two songs each, or, you know, and then the, the kids swap out, and then the drummer will play bass, yeah. and the bass player will sing or whatever. They got you know, it down. <laughs> they, they do, and they're bloody good. Yeah. You know, I'm lost, or some last, the year before last, I'm thinking, I've got to follow that later. I think there's another four bands on before I hit right, the stage. Right. You know? And it's a full concert setup, the stage, yeah. the lights, the whole thing. It's great. So. Yeah. So, and then obviously this year we're, we're, we're honoring our dear friend, Mars Peter Cowling, um, with a, with a, a memorial for Pete. Okay. And, uh, what I'm on, what I intend on doing it, we've got all the bands are coming in and the normal stable guys have got, um, metal issues coming in. Um, we got, uh, Kinlin, um, it's metal, it's metal luscious, isn't it? Metal luscious. Did I say metal? Yeah. They always, (laughs) they correct me on that. If I dare say that, how he's be like, it's not metal luscious, dude. It's metal luscious. Metal luscious. Yeah. I get told (laughs) off as well. You just told me off. There you go. (laughs) Go there and Kinlin. They're my son's band. Right. Excellent band. Excellent. Um, and and then we'll be playing, um, but we're going to not do too long because the end of the night I've got, um, uh, Pat Travers is coming down. Oh, wow. Uh, Are we letting the cat out of the bag yeah. right now about that? Absolutely, yes. Pat's coming. He, he told me last week I'll be there. And what, what, what I intend on doing is not it's not going to be a lot of, you know, we're going to play like four or five songs together. Pat's probably going to do a few songs with his, he's bringing his drum and his bass player. Oh, but wow. it's not about playing so much, you know, Pat's stuff. You know, we are playing, we're planning on having a good hour and a half where we're going to tell stories, me and Pat and anybody else who's coming down that knows Pat, that, that, that knows Mars and has played with him. And we're going to sort of honor him by a few stories. Then we're going to play some music, maybe tell another story. And we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a wonderful uh, memorial to a very, very dear friend of mine. I played two years with him with Pat. 
back in 76, 77. And, um, you know, as I said, as you know, we, we he, he used to come and guest up and do a couple of songs with me way back, uh, you know, five or six years ago mm-hmm. when we were doing the Rock and Roll Ribs shows. And uh, he always used to moan at me, please don't do Trooper, which which is one of you know, the pretty fast tracks. <laughs> look at me and... I'll, I'll tell the story when I, when the people come on. Oh on yeah, no, and they're you're great. That's part of the show is that you, we get all these great stories from Nico at the same time. Yeah, that's those yeah. those records that you and Mars and Pat played on. I told you this before, but it's uh, I, I need to mention it. My brother, who's a pretty accomplished uh, touring drummer himself, is pretty much spent uh, you know all of his freshman or sophomore year playing to putting it straight over and over and over again. I used to be yeah. walking home from school and I could hear it a block away and go, oh, he's on <laughs> speakeasy. Okay, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, great stuff. So I, I told Pat I was on a stage with him at a at a toy run. It might have been 1997 or something. And uh, it was the third or fourth time I'd met him. And I said, one of these days, brother, we're going to jam together. And uh, so this might happen, except at least I'll be on the, on the side of the stage watching it close. You know, it'd be great. Well, I've, you know, Tim, Tim Owen said he might, you know, he, he, he definitely want, wait, he said he's definitely coming to Mitch yesterday. So, um, we, you know, when we play, we're going to have to do uh, a couple of, you know, definitely a couple of pre-songs. Get, we're going to do a couple of, ba- you know, this is my, you know, I'm thinking off the top of my head now, you know, like half a dozen made tracks. because. We got we got to watch the time here. Okay. You know, we've got a whole fun, a fun field. You know, from one o'clock onwards. And listen, I uh, know you have a lot of singers at your disposal, so I will not. It will not hurt my feelings if you bring a lot of other singers into the mix. I'm fine with that. So. Well, you got to get up. We got to do a couple of bad codes. Yes, on. we will. It, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a rock and roll ribs anniversary party without doing a dodgy enterprise. <laughs> now party. there's some people <laughs> listening that just made the connection. Oh. Dodgy Enterprise, bad company. I get it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Nico, I can't believe you spent this much time with me on this show. It's an exclusive uh, special treat for me. This will this is going to get heard by tens of thousands of your closest fans. In your case, probably hundreds of thousands. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it, the help you do for the kids and and for the doggies and kitties as well. Yes. And yes. Uh, it, it, it really, if there's no snow in South Florida, at least we have the Rock and Roll Ribs anniversary party because it makes it feel, you know, you got that Christmas spirit. You've got that people coming Absolutely. together kind of feeling. And the face, just the looks on these people's face in the crowd watching you in such an intimate setting is, makes it all worthwhile. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest before I go, we, we are blessed in this much that it is December. And as we all know, December is, uh, you know, when the governor, you know, was out and was born. So it's like a celebration and celebrating and being able to do that. Two, you know, a couple of weeks before we actually have our Christmas. You know, it's it's so it's so it feels so right. You know, we can we can certainly, you know, enjoy ourselves as much as we like. But it's the uh, the underlying thing is, you know, it's Christmas time. And a season of goodwill, and there's a lot of kids out there that need our help. And uh, if we can do that, that's even better, which we are. Absolutely. Doug Bill, great. Thank you so much. You for are the me. best. Thanks. Right, I will mate. see you soon absolutely. at the next rehearsal, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that, mate. So, boys and girls, if I don't see you at the party, have a wonderful Christmas. Be safe and well, and God bless. And don't forget, you just never know. Knew you. <laughs> <laughs>